Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. One of the things that I have heard here recently is, is that you know, God, there will be times when God brings hardship your way to strengthen you or to test you or to do different things. And every time I hear that, I, want, I cringe because God's not the author of everything that comes your way. John 10.10 10 is, is reality. We have an enemy. He's a thief. He steals. He kills. He destroys. And Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And if anything comes into your life and it doesn't represent abundant life, that's not Jesus. It's the enemy. But this thought came to me that in, in, in these days, and this is where 2 Timothy 3.1 comes in. In the um, New King James, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And the, the, the Greek word there for perilous can mean fierce, can mean times of great stress. In the um, faith bits in our bulletin today, I, I shared that verse, but I shared it in the Passion Translation. And in the Passion Translation, it reads, But you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce and difficult for the people of God. But I also like... And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, the, the first five verses are really in this whole theme. But the, the message translation, I like the way it starts. It says, don't be naive. Wow, if there is a problem that I see in the church, it's, we have a lot of naive Christians. It's a, you know, Brother Hagin used to have this saying, he said, you know, we need to be smarter than baby birds. Baby birds will open their mouth and you can stick anything in their mouth and they'll eat it. His favorite saying was that one of his favorite sayings was, be as smart as the old cow. Eat the hay and spit the sticks. Well, that's what the message translation is saying here. It says, don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be, and then it gives the whole long list, which I'm not going to go through. And then at the very end in, in verse 5, it says they will make a show of religion, but behind the scenes they're animals. Stay clear of these people. King, New King James says, Know that it's in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of self. And then at the, uh, in verse 5, it says these same men will have a form of godliness, but deny its power from such people turn away. Which tells me that the primary sign of the end times, and remember, we, the end times started with the resurrection, well, depending on who you listen to, it either started with the resurrection of Christ or it started with um, the, the, um, on the day of Pentecost when the church age started. But in generally, it started there, and it is still going. They have, we have been in the end times for 2,000 years now. The closer you get to the very, very end, the more fierce these times come. But it's not just because a lot of people say, well, look, you can see that we have more hurricanes, we have more earthquakes. I'm not sure we have more hurricanes or more earthquakes. We just hear about every one of them. 
And it's the same way, you know, some guy in lower Slobovia can assassinate somebody and it's around the world, the news of it's around the world in 30 seconds. So we, we are bombarded with the, the, the negative because as far as the news media concerns, if it bleeds, it leads. And if it doesn't bleed, we're not talking about it because nobody it won't attract eyeballs. So we hear about all the nasty stuff, and it, give, it does do one thing that the Bible talks about. It brings in this sense of fear, the sense of, 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 of dread that everybody seems to have on them, which is part of the problem that we have to combat. But, but the, these verses tell us that the primary problem is not the earth, it's not the, the, the environment we live in, despite what the environmentalists say, that we're destroying the earth, you know, things are horrible out there. We're, you know, <clears throat> Monsanto's trying to poison everything and they're out to kill you so they can get a new drug that, that will fix what they're making wrong with you. Monta Monsanto is not the evil that people make it out to be. And I'm not trying to take a position on whether their things are good or bad. Our problem, this is Paul speaking, it's the Holy Spirit through Paul speaking, is people. It's us. I think it was Pogo, cartoon character in World War II. I found the enemy and it are us. We, people, are, are fierce. That's what the, 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 the passion said. We're fierce. We, we're, you know, all you got to do is look at our politics today. Our politics is just a microcosm of our society. People are just at each other. You know, growing up, um, I don't remember a thing called road rage. And there's road rage all over, the, all over the place all the time now. Why is that? Because as we get closer to the end, people get more fierce. Because they, there, there's an, there, there's this knowing that something's just not right. Especially with unbelievers. Unbelievers know that they're, that, you know, you don't have to convince an unbeliever that they are a sinner. They know they're sinners. They're running from it. The reason most of them use drugs and alcohol and, 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 and all these other activities is they're trying to numb themselves. They're trying to distract themselves from the fact that they are going, there is a date certain out there they're going to die. And they're terrified of that. Because they don't have any idea what's next. The, 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 the great fear of every agnostic or atheist is that God is real and hell is real. They're terrified of the fact that hell might be real and I might be going there. Well, as Christians, we need to be somewhat different. But it reminded me <clears throat> of the story... And not a story, but of the, the situation that Moses faced when they were getting ready to go into the promised land in Numbers chapter 13. And I'm going to start in, in verse 17. And this is, this is a very similar situation to what we're facing. They, they've been delivered from Egypt. They're born again. They came across the Red Sea. That's a type of water baptism. They've gone through the wilderness God's provided miracle after miracle after miracle of provision. They gave him water in the desert. They, he's given him food where there was no food. And now he's getting ready to go in. In verse 17 it says, Then Moses sent them to spy out. He, he's come up with the 12 spies. 
one from every um, tribe. He sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains. See what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether they are, there are forests there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. There is this situation where Moses sends these 12 people in, these 12 spies, and he tells them a couple of different things. He said, I want you to go out and spy out the people, the land, and the cities. Of the people, I want to know, are they strong or are they weak? And I want to know, are there just a few of them? There are a lot of them. Of the land, I need to know whether it's good or bad. When it says rich or poor, better translation of that is, is it fertile or barren? And I want to know, is it forested or not? We're going to have to go through plains or we're going to go through dense forests. And then of the cities, are they just in little tent camps or they have strongholds with walled cities? Because you're going to have to do different warfare for both types. But in the midst of it, right after he does all that, at the end of verse 20, he makes this statement. Be of good courage. Why is that inserted in here? He inserted it because what you, he's giving them a general hint. What you're going to see is probably going to be a little frightening. It's probably going to make you think, yeah, man. I don't know what God was thinking. We are not going to be able to do this. This can't happen. Well, you know, it's like the the old guy said, if, if, if God thought you could handle the task that he gave you, he wouldn't have given it to you. God only gives you impossible tasks because he wants to work it and you not get the credit for it. I forget who I was talking to yesterday, or maybe it was somebody this morning. If, if, if things were easy, everybody would do them. If it was easy to get rich, we'd have a land full of rich folk. Let's face it. If it was easy to have a happy marriage, there would be nothing but happy marriages. If it was easy to be a, a, a parent, every parent would be a great parent. Life is hard. In fact, when you come right down to it, life's kind of impossible because we're not very good at it. That's why we need to be of good courage. We need to have some intestinal fortitude. Um, After the, 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 the spies came back, they gave their report, and the ten spies said, this is how it is. It's just like God said, it's a land of milk and honey. But I'm telling you, there's giants there. And we can't conquer them. They're, like, they're giants and we're grasshoppers in their sight. Now, the, 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 the tragic part is, is when they finally, the next generation finally does go in and they get to Jericho, they're going to go to spies. And I think Joshua learned from Moses. Moses sent 12, only two had a good report. Ten had an evil report. So Joshua thought, well, I'm just sending two. I'll get a good report back from two. And he sent them to Jericho, and they went to Rahab, and Rahab said, I don't, what in the world is taking you guys so long? From the day we heard that you, that God drowned the entire Egyptian army, we have been grasshoppers in your sight. 
And yet these ten spies look at the same situation and say, they're giants, we're the grasshoppers. And because of that, they backed off. Caleb and everybody, and I'm not faulting Caleb for this argument, but in in chapter 13, verse 30 and 31, listen to what Caleb argues with them. It says, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. But Caleb made a mistake here. He really made a huge mistake. He's arguing about their ability. I'm telling you we can do this. And they're saying, I'm telling you we can't do it. So you've got two different groups of men arguing about the ability of of the men to do what God's called them to do. You are never going to win that argument. I I, I forget where I read it, but I read it somewhere this week that um, being able to answer hard questions is a rare ability. But an even more rare ability is to know when you're asking the wrong questions. Caleb, I admire his courage. Later on, I mean, Caleb's 80 years old. He goes in and they fight all the initial fights. And and after the initial fights are over, he looks to Joshua and he says, Joshua, I was promised this territory. Now, I'm 80 years old, but get over here and get me some people. We're going to go take this line. I want to go fight. An 80-year-old man, he's bruising to go fight somebody. He's, he is ready to go, and he's got some courage, but he's arguing on the wrong ground. James, the Apostle James, of course, they didn't know who James would, would be, but James gives us the secret, James 4, 7. In, in James chapter 4, James is talking about humility. Remember, we just read here a minute ago, 2 Timothy 3, 1, about the people. What's the problem with all those people? They're lovers of self. There's no humility. We know it all. We can handle it. We got the ability. We got all kinds of technology. We don't need God. That's basically what the, the, the modern uh, message of pride is. I don't need God. Nietzsche said it 100 years ago, and it, most people get this part wrong. Nietzsche is quoted as saying, um, God is dead. But Nietzsche wasn't claiming that God was dead. Basically, he was declaring the truth is that modernism, a hundred years ago, modernism has declared that God is dead and we killed him. And then he went on to predict and he predicted all of the major tragedies of the 20th century. He said, because mankind and the intellectuals in mankind have declared that God is irrelevant and he's dead now, You just watch. The communists and the socialists are going to rise up and they are going to kill millions of people in the next few years. And in the 20th century, the greatest death toll was by the socialists in Nazi Germany and the communists in in Russia, China, and a whole variety of, of other communist countries. They probably killed in the 20th century 100 to 150 million people in that 100 year period. Why? Because they all had one thing in common. We don't need God. And they became murderous because of it. 
But James says, if that's the pride of man, we need to humble ourselves. And in James 4, 7, he says, Therefore, because we need humility, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Caleb makes the mistake of arguing abilities. We can do this. It's not a bad message, but it's just the wrong battlefield. James says, no, submit yourself to God. What does God say about this? And I'm, I'm, I keep going back to Brother Hagin, but he was such a profound influence in my life that I, that's where most of my influence comes from. But he had a probably the greatest saying he had was, what does the word say? It didn't matter what situation, what problem you came up with, his answer was always the same. What's the word say? If the word says it, that's what we're going to do. He was in a church one time and in, in, in pastoring the church. He didn't pastor a long time. But they were having tremendous difficulties. And, and he was in the, the, the deacon's meeting. And the deacon said, Brother Hagin, what are we going to do about this? And he just looked at him and he said, well, we're just going to act like the Bible's true. It's simple, but it's so profound. And the sad part, it's almost unknown in, in Christian circles for people just to act like the Bible's so. They, we want to explain it away. Or we want to say, well, yeah, but, you know, that's... I, I have a lot of sophisticated Christian friends that will tell me flat out, demons, you know, we know now that demons don't exist. That was just mental illness. And I told one of them, I, I was friendly enough with one of them, I said, well, ain't that just a shame? Poor old stupid Jesus thought he was casting out demons. He was just perpetuating a myth because he knew the people believed in the myth. No, he was either believing that those demons were real or he was a liar. There's no, there's no in between. It's, it's, and, and they do exist. I've dealt with them. I've watched them. I remember the first time I got involved in deliverance. This lady, she was, the doctors already told her, you got about six months and you're dead. She had a, and it's got a name, stiff man syndrome. My wife and I were there and our pastor was there and we were praying for her. And she had on a, a T-shirt because that's about all she could wear. She had to have fairly loose-fitting clothing. But she had a T-shirt she was laying on the couch. And we started to pray for her, about the size of a soccer ball came up in her stomach. Stood up about three to four inches and just rolled around in, in her stomach. And it was a demon manifesting himself. And I can tell you that was in late 80s. And she's alive today. And she walks free of that. She was in a wheelchair. She could not walk. She could not function. Within two years of us, we had to pray for her. I prayed for her thousands of times. She finally figured out how she could back that demon off. And once she learned how that she could back the demon off, she backed him off. She got that thing out of her life, and it doesn't even come near her anymore. But they are real, but the Bible gives us absolute authority. But first we have to submit to God. We have to figure out what God thinking. That's what Caleb missed. Forget about us. Think about God. Think about your relationship with Him. Think about what He's done for you and what He's done to you and what He's done in you. And when you get that perspective, then you can proceed. The children of Israel were arguing back and forth about our abilities when they should have, and, and if Moses had been the leader that he should have been. And I'm going to lay this right square at Moses' feet because he was the head of that group. 
If he'd have been the leader, he'd have gone back, he would have been aware of this, and he'd gone back and put him in remembrance. And I'm going to run through these very quickly. Genesis 15, 18. This is when God made the covenant with Abram. It says, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. See, the argument Caleb should not have been making was that we are well able. The argument Caleb should have been making with these people is God gave us the land. It's already ours. We're just going in and enforcing what he's already said we have. So we can't lose because God's on our side. Now that's how it all started was with Abram. Numbers chapter 20. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Because you did not believe me, this is after they failed to take the land, you did not believe me to hallow me in the names of the children of Israel. That God's rebuking Moses and Aaron both. You didn't put them in remembrance of me and what I said. And God's not pleased. Because you did this, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given to them. Numbers 20, verse 24. Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel. God's declaring this is a done deal, folks. You didn't go in because of your cowardice, because of your rebellion, because you didn't hallow me in in your eyes. Remember, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's not just words. We have to show such respect that what God says is the most important thing. Numbers 27, God's talking to Joshua. The Lord said to Moses, go up into Mount (coughs) Abraham and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. Numbers 32, 7. The very end of that, he's talking, he says, Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Numbers 32, 9. When they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. It's the same thing when we were praying for the sick earlier. We don't pray for the sick trying to get them healed. We pray for the sick because God has already declared that they are healed. Jesus paid the price for their healing when he went to the cross. We're not trying to get healed. We are healed. We're just agreeing with what God said and telling the enemy, this is a fight. Now, don't don't misunderstand me. You're going to be in the fight of your life if you start declaring what God declares about your life. The enemy will come and and there will be giants in the land. You've got some giants in your land. The vast majority of the giants in your land live right between your ears. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, we need to renew our minds. We need to change the way we think and think more like God thinks and get more familiar with what God says about us than what your body says or what the world says. The world will tell you that can't be done. Thank God Orville and Wilbur didn't believe that. Or we'd we'd be driving everywhere instead of flying. I just drove to San Antonio. 
put 2,500 miles on my car in 10 days, and I'm telling you, I'd, I would much rather jump in an airplane and go do that. You just can't, you know, when you get there, you can't drive the airplane around, so it's, I choose to drive. But if they had listened to what the naysayers said, we wouldn't have any of the things, modern conveniences we have. Cars wouldn't exist. We'd still be, in fact, we probably wouldn't even be riding donkeys or horses because people would have looked at those and said, that is a big, mean animal. There's no way you're ever going to be able to jump on its back and, and ride that thing. It won't let you. We went to the rodeo while I was at my son's house. Those horses, they'll do their best to get you off their back. Now, those, are, those horses were trained to buck. But even a, a, an untrained horse, if they've never had a rider, they don't want people on there. You have to make them submit. Well, it's the same way with whatever God promised you. When your checkbook says empty, God says, no, that's full. Well, it doesn't look full. Well, start declaring it's full and start acting like it's full. And then go out and start applying for jobs, better jobs. Well, you know, I heard somebody say, would you like to live on $11 an hour? It's like, no. But I'm, I had enough sense when I was, you know, 20 years old to think I'm not going to be living on minimum wage the rest of my life. I'm going to get out there and work hard, learn some stuff, and get a better job. Now, that wasn't the Bible coming out of me. That was just common sense. I'm not, I don't have to get stuck in this, this minimum wage job for life. I'm going to improve myself. I need to be the same way towards the Word. Everybody keeps telling you. My doctor, I said it earlier, he told me 20 years ago, you got 10 years to live. I could have gone home and sat down and said, woe is me. Gina, get ready. You're going to be a widower or a widow. Instead, I got up and I said, Lord, no. When I had this heart attack, you told me, Psalm 70, or yeah, 73, 26, you are the strength of my heart. I don't care what's going on in there. For a while, I really believed hard for a perfect EKG. And then I, one day, I, I just had this kind of crazy thought. Why do I need a perfect EKG if he's the strength of my heart? I don't care what my EKG says. I don't care what the echocardiogram says. I don't care about any of that. Now, don't, dis, don't misunderstand me. My doctor says I need to do something. I will do it. I obey my doctor, but I obey the word more than my doctor. Doctors have never asked me to do anything that went counter to the Word. I've got a lot of scriptures, and I'm, I'm not going to read through all of them. But um, they basically all go through and declare that God had already given them this land. And, but they didn't believe that, that God, what God had said was actually true. And because they, didn't, they weren't familiar with what God had already said, they backed off. Amen? Now, you're going to have to, I'm, I think I left a page of my notes at home. So, um, I want to finish with Gideon. Thank God for these little computers that we have. In Judges chapter 6, because this is, this is, again, I want to show, show this in, in a, um, 
in more than one place. In the first six verses of, of Judges chapter 6, Gideon, or the, it's talking about the, um, the reason that the people, Israel, are suffering. They're suffering at the hands of the Midianites. The, the children of Israel go out, they plant crops, and then the Midianites come in and they steal most of the crops and they burn what they don't steal. And they did it because Israel sinned, and now they're at the mercy of, of their enemies because they didn't hold <coughs> excuse me, they didn't hold true to, um, to what God told them to do. The nation of Israel has been they got into sin. Midian, the Midianites have uh, been afflicting them. But then in verse 11, well, verse 6, it says, So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. That's the first wise thing they've done. They figured out, I need help. And when they figured out that they needed help, they cried out for help. And when you cry out for help from the Lord, the Lord shows up. It's amazing how that works. You know, even children learn pretty quick that if you need help, call mom and dad. Well, God's quicker on the spot and got more help than mom and dad. But in verse 11, he's, God is, is about to meet their need because they cried out to him. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Aborazite, while his son Gideon thrashed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. That's the thing that always got me about Midian, or about Gideon. Gideon is in a wine press. If you know anything about threshing wheat, what they did is we, the, the, the kernel of grain has a husk on it. And you, take a, you pile it up, you take a huge big stick that's flexible, and you just beat it. And you will beat the husks off of the grain. But then you've still got the husk and the grain all mixed. So what they would do is they'd take it up on top of a hill. <clears throat> and they would stick a shovel in it. And they'd throw it up in the air on top of the hill. Almost always there's at least a slight breeze. The husks would blow off. The grain would fall down. You do that enough. You've just got pure grain and no husks. The problem is, and any, if, if you've ever been involved in the military at all, they will tell you, you need to be very careful about walking on the ridges of hills because you are silhouetted against the sky and you stand out like a sore thumb. Well, if you're hiding from the Midianites, they're coming to steal your land. If you're up on top of the hill throwing wheat up in the, the air, hey, there's tomorrow's lunch, guys. Let's go get it. So... Gideon is in a wine press. Wine press is like a huge big bucket. It's got walls to keep the wine, the, the juices in. And they would get in and they would walk around. If you've ever watched I Love Lucy, you've seen how wine presses work. You walk around, you squash the grapes and you let the juice run out. They collect it, but you are hidden in there. Gideon is hiding, doing something in the wrong spot. So he doesn't get his goods stolen. He's operating in fear. 
But what does God say to him? He says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Is Gideon a mighty man of valor? According to God, he is. I'm certainly not going to argue with him. Is he acting like a mighty man of valor? <laughs> not even close. He's acting like he's afraid he's going to lose his, his goods and starve to death. So what does Gideon do? Gideon said to him, now the, when it says the angel of the Lord, <clears throat> literally this is the messenger of the Lord, this can be Jesus' personal angel talking to Gideon, but there are times in the Old Testament when Jesus himself would take on the appearance of a body and, and it would look a lot like an angel. He met Joshua when they went into the land, and we know it was Jesus and not Jesus' angel, because when Joshua met him, Joshua asked, said, Are you for us or against us? And the angel said, Neither. I come representing the host of heaven. And Joshua hid his knees and worshipped him. And that being received that worship. So that was not an angel. That would own, The only beings in the universe that will receive worship rightfully is the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. And Jesus received worship that day, but he was there as the angel of the Lord, as the messenger of the Father. So we don't know from the context whether this is actually a, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus or Jesus' angel. But either way, this is God talking to Gideon. And he just called him a mighty man of valor. What's Gideon's response? Verse 13, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. God sends either an angel or the second person of the Godhead, tells Gideon, You are a mighty man of valor, even though you're cowering like a coward in this wine press. And Gideon has a timidity to say, well, where you been? We've been fighting this fight for a long time. Why are you showing up now, man? We've been starving for years. If I, this is part of the reason God didn't make me God. Gideon would have been gone. Why in the world God did, and it's like, you, you are a mighty man of valor. You got some guts to talk back to me. When my kids talk back to me, they usually didn't, didn't, things didn't go well. But God, in His infinite patience, says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Notice what he said there at the very end. Have I not sent you? This tells me, and it's a hint, but I, when I look at numbers, what, what God did with Abram in Genesis, telling him, your descendants I've given this land to, and then time after time after time, God came back and said, I've given you the land, I've given you the land, I've given you the land. They didn't go into it because it's like, we can't do this. Gideon, he says, you are a mighty man of valor, and Gideon gripes at him. Thanks for showing up late. I really appreciate all the hardship we've been going through. And God just ignores it and says, I'm going to use you to deliver this people. Why? 
I've already sent you. And I've already told you I've sent you. This tells me that God's already been talking to Gideon. And Gideon hadn't been listening. Now, the point of this is, are we in a, the situation that the, the Midian or the, the children of Israel are in with the Midianites? Very similar. We're facing 2 Peter 3.1. Don't buy, be naive. Great, perilous, stressful times are upon us. Why? Because people be crazy. They just are. And the, farther, the closer we get to, to the return of the Lord, the crazier they're going to get. It's, it's not taking God by surprise. So when you cower at your circumstances, you look at life and you say, God, I don't see you at work in anything. I am going down for the third time. God is going to look back at you and say, I have been talking to you for a long time, telling you that you have the courage to do what I've called you to do. You're in the situation you're in right now because you haven't been listening. And we need to wake up and do what Gideon did. Gideon finally woke up and said, you're right. That's James 4, 7. Submit to God. That's the start of wisdom. God, you're right, I'm wrong. That's one of the few absolutes in that, that it's, it's, the, it's that way every time, all the time. If you have a disagreement with God, I'm just telling you, He's right, you're wrong. And it doesn't matter what the subject, it doesn't matter whether he, you have a PhD in electronics and he's never even gone to middle school. He knows more about electronics than you do. He knows more about everything than you do. And he invented the electric charge. He ought to know about electronics. Submitting to God is saying, God, you're a little smarter in this area than I am. <coughs> For one thing, I think I know what's going on. But there could be a thousand things that I'm not aware of. It's one of the things, and, and I will close with this. I always get amused when I hear the, the, the um, so-called scientists talk about how we're destroying the planet. We're going to cook the planet. The planet has a fever. Well, the planet has warmed in the last century slightly. Whether human activity has anything to do with it, I don't know. But I will tell you, the, 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 the processes that go on in the atmosphere are so complex, and there are so many different things. You know, there's the butterfly effect. Butterfly flaps his wings in, in uh, Japan, and it causes a hurricane in the, the eastern Pacific. Well, that's kind of silly. It doesn't really happen that way. But there are literally trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions of different things that affect our weather and global weather patterns. You could take, if, if you could map and, and identify every little detail, there's not enough computing power existing in every computer that exists on this planet to put all that data in and figure out what the, the, the weather patterns are going to do. So how do they come up with these projections? They simplified. They take trillions and trillions and trillions of, of things and they say, well, this one point represents all of those trillions of data points. And if they get it wrong, it's all wrong. God knows what's going on. 
God can control every one of those trillions of trillions of trillions of trillions of data points and all of the little effects. And he said that this world is going, to, is going to be destroyed by fire, but it's going to be his fire at the very end, not the fact that we're drilling for oil and burning carbon fuels. Now, that's not an excuse for us to, to abuse the planet. Don't, don't get me wrong. But we need to quit worrying about what all of the naysayers and what all, all of the fear mongers are saying and just get back and figure out what God are you telling me to do? Because God, our world needs deliverance and God has a deliverer for them. And that deliverer is you. Well, I thought Jesus was the deliverer. He is. And if you're a Christian, he's in you. And he wants you to be the Gideon for this age. He wants you to be the Gideon for the, the circle of friends that you have. He wants you to be the Gideon for your family. Part of the problem is we don't believe that or it's too inconvenient. That means I'd have to pray a lot. Because I know my family, they need a lot of prayer. And it's going to require hours and hours and hours. Well, would you rather they go to hell? I hate to be blunt, but is that, that, those are the stakes. Or would you rather, yes, they're going to go to heaven, I know they're saved, but they're going to go 20 years early. Because I wasn't willing to get on my knees and, and, and miss my shows. God help us if we miss our shows. Why do we have shows? Because it helps anesthetize us to the responsibility that God has put on our shoulders. And I'm, I'll just be honest with you. I don't want to get to heaven and have God look at me and rather than say, well, well done, my good and faithful servant, have him shake, and shake his head and say, how did, that, how did that last episode of that show come out? Because I was busy. I didn't catch that one. But I know you watched it. God help us. There are more important things. People's eternal destiny is riding on what we do. Now, I know that, that can sound awfully heavy. And if you fail to do what, you, what God's called you to do, it'll have an effect. If Gideon had refused to obey God, would God have had another person? I'm sure he would have. But would it have taken 20 years? Would they have? How many people would have starved or been hungry? For how many years before God could convince somebody else to do what Gideon did? I don't know. I'm just glad Gideon obeyed God. My question is, am I obeying God? Am I listening to Him? And do I have the courage, just like Moses told the spies, be of good courage. When I start looking at the situations, I realize, I can't do this. I don't have the mental capacity. I don't have the emotional capacity. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. God, this task is bigger than I am. <laughs> and God looks right back at you and says, yeah. <laughs> Basically, tying your shoes is bigger than you are. But you're not in it by yourself. I'm going to be right here with you. And if you'll, if you'll put one foot in front of the other, I'll help you with the next step. Now, it will require some courage. You're going to hit some times that it's going to be fearful. 
It's going to look like, man, the enemies are all around. I see the guns poking out. But are they real guns or are they just sticks that are painted black with a hole drilled in the middle because the enemy is just trying to scare you? Well, when he does approach you, just listen to me, submit to what I say, resist him, and then watch him flee. Because he's got no weapons. He can't fight back. He has nothing to fight back with. Amen? I know this, is, this wasn't a hallelujah, you know, when we all come to heaven, come to Jesus. But I feel like, to be honest with you, and I started to look it up and I, I forgot, things got busy. But I feel like I almost have to deliver the speech that Winston Churchill gave after Europe fell and he became prime minister. What do I have to, to, to promise you? Blood, sweat, tears. We'll fight him on the beaches. We'll fight him in the, in the, the hedgerows. We'll fight him in the streets. We only have two choices. Fight and maybe die or fight and be con- or not fight and be conquered. Well, with the enemy, we either fight or we will be conquered. And if he conquers you, you you'll die sooner and you'll probably die miserable. And since God has already said, you're going to win this fight, i just as soon fight. I tell you what, uh, uh, Churchill would have had a much easier time had all of the people in his country known they were going to win the war. Had they known that going into it, they wouldn't have had such a hard time mustering up the courage that it took to do what they did. We already read the end of the book. We win. He has given us the land. We just have to go in and, and, and fight the fight and watch him mow down the enemy. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.